Well, based on how you define this one word, based on what you think about this one word, this is either, it's like home run or strikeout. Based on what you think of this one word, this, I can promise you, this will be the most boring sermon you have ever had to sit through your entire life or the most exciting. It all comes down to how you define this one word. Either this will electrify you or you'll be like, yo, settle in. It's going to be a while. And the word, well, if you turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, I'll tell you the word. 1 John chapter 4, if you're just... Haven't been here lately. Welcome to Coleman First Baptist. Uh, we're in a series on First John. You'll find it near the end of your Bible. And the series is called That You May Know. It's a series all about assurance of salvation. And his theme, we come to, we've, we've been working through First John. Today we're in First John chapter 4. And you'll see, we're only going to look at six verses. But in these verses, you'll see John is all about this one theme. So it all comes down to this word. Are you there? First John 4, 1. All right, the word is, and remember, like, remember, I can read the room, okay? So no matter what you think of this word, try to have a poker face reaction here so I don't get utterly discouraged, okay? It's either going to be electrifying to you. You're going to be, yes, I've been waiting for a sermon on this. Or you're going to look at your neighbor and be like, wake me up when this is done. And the word is the word doctrine. Okay, yeah, I got my work cut out for me. The fact that some of you knew you couldn't hide your face, you immediately bowed in prayer, <laughs> is telling. <laughs> doctrine, all right? So I'm going I'm to make the case here that while some of you, you hear doctrine, you're going to say, man, the sermon is on, on doctrine. Yes, because first of all, in the first verse, John commands us to have true doctrine. I'm going to try to make the case that if you're a little bit disappointed, if you're like, oh man, the sermon's going to be on doctrine and discerning true doctrine from false doctrine. Oh, what could be more boring than that? I'm going to try to convince you from God's word that in fact, this is electrifying. This is in fact what we need to be thinking about and it's a little more exciting than you may think. So here we go. The command to discern true doctrine, why it's so important, and then John spends the majority of the text on how we discern true from false doctrine. Here we go. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, he says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now already, to me, this is a little exciting, because he didn't say, do not believe every preacher or every spokesman. He says, do not believe every Facebook post. We all know that, right? Don't believe everything that comes across social media. Don't believe everything on YouTube, even people that claim. He doesn't say that. John says, hey, you know all that? Hey, what, what, what do you think's behind that? What do you think's behind all that wave of doctrine? What do you think is behind all that truth? He, he doesn't say don't believe every preacher, don't believe every spokesman, don't believe every social media post. He says behind every pulpit, whether it's a literal pulpit or whether it's a social media outlet, behind everyone is a spirit. Every prophet is the mouthpiece of some spirit. And every spirit, behind every prophet is a spirit. And behind every spirit is either God or the devil. Already, again, doctrines, I hope, a little more exciting. Everybody, everybody, no exceptions. Every one of us is listening to and being influenced by a spirit. Now, here's why John says, don't do that. He, here's why John doesn't say, don't do that. He can't. He just said at the end of chapter 3, verse 24, he says, we're to abide in God. God abides in us. Why? All this is by the Holy Spirit. 
So John is saying, of course there's a spiritual realm, right? Christians know there's a spiritual realm. We're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. So if if the Holy Spirit speaks through a Christian, we should believe him, obviously. But the problem is what? The problem is John knows that it's very easy for folks to walk around saying they had a word from the Lord or they have some insight or even if they're, even even if irrespective of religion, they may not be very religious. They claim to have some truth. They claim to to have some worldview that's good and light and true and good for human flourishing. They can say all that, but how do you know they're really being influenced by the Holy Spirit? They may be influenced ultimately by that which is demonic. And look at the rest of the verse. Beloved, do not, as if all this couldn't get, the stakes couldn't get higher, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. In other words, John says, This could have been that group of, if you were here for the earlier parts, we talked about the Gnostics, this group of heretics who let their originally church members and went out. Other commentators, and I I also believe this, uh, think that this is dealing on a more cosmic scale. Remember when Jesus gave the disciples the great commission, go ye therefore into all the world and and make disciples right here. I've I've been crucified, dead, buried, now risen from the dead. Tell the world, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything. Some people think that when Satan heard that, when word got out that Jesus was dispersing his disciples to all the world, that Satan started his own demonic great commission. That he himself decided he needed to send out what? False prophets all throughout the world that could do what? That could confuse and deceive. That could counterfeit the work of God. They're everywhere. And and Satan's no dummy. He works by deception. He works by counterfeiting that which is good. He doesn't appear as he is, darkness and hate. No, he he masks as an angel of light, claiming to be the Holy Spirit. So we've got to know, and John takes pains to get across to his beloved church members, how do we know then whether something is of the Lord or not? You've got to guard against two extremes. Some Christians are just too naive. They're too gullible, and they believe everything. Other Christians are too cynical and they believe nothing. John says, let's not walk in either of those places. To be superstitious, to believe everything, to be gullible. I remember as a boy, the bullies in my grade would say, you know somebody broke into the school last night and spray painted the word gullible on the ceiling. <sighs> but it would happen over and over. And like every, at some point, the fault is with me, I think. Right? But on the other hand, you can grow uh, you know, by the way, if you were that kid like me who was so gullible, and maybe you still are, maybe some of you can't help it, you kind of, deep down, you want to know, is it right here on the ceiling? Yeah, I won't fault you. If that's you, uh, then just know, you'll, you, while that's a problem, you won't be cynical. And in a way, that's a good thing, because love believes all things. And we could do with a little less cynicism. So when the whole world's looking down, you'll still be looking up. Good for you. But the, uh, the cynicism sets in, and that's highly suspicious of everything. John says, no, 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 it doesn't have to be either one of those extremes. Why is this such a big deal? So don't believe every spirit, but test. We must be able to, the word is discern. We must become people of discernment when it comes to doctrine. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, what if I'd said this one word, the whole sermon is about love and how to love one another. Well, then you've got everybody's attention, right? How are we going to have relationships? How do you deal with those toxic people in your life? How do you know if you are the toxic people? And everybody looks at you. Okay. So like, you know, you talk about love and how can we overcome anxiety and fear and all that stuff. Then everybody is excited. Here's my point. Here's my point. Underneath that, while that may be more exciting, without good doctrine, you can't really preach on love without any real foundation. 
this is a little subtle, but let me, let me explain here. Why doctrine is so exciting is, what is love? What does it mean to love someone? To love someone means you will, you're even willing to sacrifice if you can provide for the human flourishing of another. You will do something that makes them flourish. But without good truth, it, look, if you think of doctrine as a list of religious beliefs and a, and a list of sort of esoteric, you know, things and creeds that people believe, then no wonder, right? And in fact, I don't even want to convince you about doctrine. I really want to preach on dogma, worldview. Dogma is even worse than doctrine. Dogma is like doctrine that's angry. (laughs) Doctrine with a fist, you know. But that's it, a layer of truth. If you think of doctrine as a set of religious beliefs, no wonder you'd be bored by that. But what if I told you that doctrine is just worldview? Doctrine is the set of truths by which you think the world operates. Why are we here? What's right and wrong? What happens to us after we die? Everybody, everybody, everybody. It doesn't matter, religious or irreligious. Everybody's got a set of answers to that that they're living by. That's their doctrine. Now, why is it so important? So if love is, gonna, is, is, gonna, is, is the thing you do to help another human being flourish, it really matters what the world, the rules of the world is like. Otherwise, you, uh, you may be... You may be thinking you're doing something loving, but because your doctrine is so far off, you're actually harming the person that you love. I don't want that to happen to anybody. I don't want you to climb the ladder of love and get all the way to the top and realize the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. I thought of a silly example, but if you want your house painted and before the painters arrive, I show up and I've painted your whole house, just the right color, just what you wanted, it's all painted. And think about with you know, the supply chain issues and the cost of everything, you come home, it's all done and done for free. You would say, what an act of love. Because in the rules of the universe, you, the owner of the house, wanted it painting. And so my painting your house was an act of love. What if I just show up and start painting houses because I'm convinced that's loving? I've picked some of you out. Right now, when you go home, surprise, waiting for you. I'm just kidding. But some of you, Right? That's vandalism. Why? You tell me, what's the difference? It's the same cost to me, the same amount of work. I worked really, really hard on that. How dare you tell me that that wasn't loving? You say, Tom, it wasn't loving because you didn't have a bedrock of truth. And so your act of love actually harmed me. How can that be? Doctrine. That's how. What's true? What's right? What's wrong? Let's take it a little more serious than painting. Um, Only slightly more serious, but uh, incredibly so I went back and looked, it was, ten, it, was, it was 2010, 2010, so it's been a minute. Does anybody remember, and I'm hoping there's just one, does anybody remember it went viral? I went back and looked, this is like three and a half million views when it came out, but it was, it, once you see it, you can never unsee it, but there was a story about a two-year-old in Indonesia who smoked two packs of cigarettes a day, 40 cigarettes a day. Anybody remember this video and the, the news crews were there? The kid is sitting there on his little tricycle. You know, he can't, he's just gibberish, just puffing away, blowing smoke rings, the whole thing, right? Now, everybody's looking at this going, oh, oh, well, you can imagine what the self-righteous internet did, right? The internet lost its mind. They're like, that's child abuse. You know, that's insane. There's a little comment from Philip Morris like, not so bad. But the point is, everybody was like losing your mind over this. How can you do this? How can this happen, right? You know what the parents said? We love him. We love him so much. And they did. The issue was not love. It was doctrine. I mean, it's incredible. You're watching this. They're like, the parents are like, yeah, he gets really cranky when he doesn't get his cigs. You know? <laughs> like, well, yeah. He's throwing a tantrum because he's two? No, because he's addicted to cigarettes, right? Now, you and I look at that and we go, okay, now, 
this is the only point I want to make. This is all I want to make. Did those parents love that kid? I submit to you, absolutely yes. And you would say, yeah, but they didn't provide for the kids flourishing. Was it a lack of love? No. It was a lack of doctrine. That's doctrine. Doctrine is, this is the way the world works, and we probably shouldn't give two packs a day to two-year-olds. I don't mean one pack max. I mean, we probably should just avoid altogether, right? My point is simple. It wasn't love. It was doctrine. That story has a happy ending, by the way, just so you're not left on a cliffhanger. Uh, Somebody did a follow-up to that, and he has, uh, uh, the article I read, he was nine years old at that time, and by the way, he was doing great. He was flourishing. He had uh, given up the cigarettes altogether. Someone had convinced him maybe this isn't a good idea, and so he's a healthy, happy kid and doing great in his school, so... That one is a happy ending. My point is simply, it wasn't a lack of love. It was doctrine, which left love woefully misguided. Now, let's fast forward it to today. Did you read this article about uh, uh, Dr. Kyle Myers? I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Very modern issue. She is advocating for something called gender creative parenting. She's the author of the book, Raising Them, Our Adventures in Gender Creative Parenting. Her theory is that we should, and I quote, disrupt the intergenerational transmission of sexism. And the best way to do that, watch this, is to, when you have a child, is to not assign a gender to that child. They would say that's merely a social construct. And so you don't use any pronouns such as he or she, you use the pronoun they. And so they're not babies, they're called babies. And these babies are being raised. She's raising her own, uh, a child named Zoomer. And uh, you can't make this up, RaisingZoomer.com. She's very vocal about it. And uh, she has, uh, uh, she's raising a gender-neutral child. Um, regardless of what you think of that, my point is simply this. Does she love that kid? I submit to you, yes. And you'll never convince me otherwise. She loves that kid. You can see pictures. and In fact, she would say, but, and if you came to her and said, yeah, but I'm worried about the flourishing of Zoomer. I'm worried about the, that child's flourishing because... She would say, well, I'm worried about your child's flourishing, growing up under the confines of a traditional roles, right? She would say, well, I love my kid. Well, I love my kid. So, so, so what's the problem? Don't you see? The issue at stake is not love. It's doctrine. Somebody's right about the way the universe works, and somebody's wrong. Does that make sense? So you see, doctrine is not some stuffy set of religious notions. You run into it every day. And without good and true doctrine, your loving of someone may actually be harming them. Not because your love was wrong, but because your truth was wrong, your doctrine was wrong. So when we come to these things that look so enticing, by the way, of course, of course, I'm using extreme examples. These are extreme examples. I know of exactly zero people. I know zero people personally who are raising a gender neutral. I know exactly zero who are doing gender creative parenting, and I know exactly zero people who are giving cigarettes to two-year-olds. I know of none of them, okay? So these are fringe examples, fair? But the exceptions to me prove the rule. that It's not a lack of love. But you could actually be harming someone in the act, in the name of loving them. So how do we discern? So if, and, and on top of that, you got cults, you got the things of God that are so close to biblical faith. You got some things, these false prophets, that what, what, if, what about spirits that are accompanied with signs and wonders? 
Some people would say, well, the majority rule, you know, feel this way, and maybe it's right. Some people would say, well, the miraculous is associated with this. Do you know in the scriptures, even prophets of wickedness were able to do miracles? Think back to Exodus when the, 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 the plagues, Moses turns the Nile River into blood by the power of God, and the, the evil, uh, Pharaoh's evil magicians were able to do the same thing. Remember in Acts 8 where there's uh, Simon Bar-Jesus, this sorcerer, this magician who by dark arts was able to do some things of, of, of miraculous status? So how do you know? How do you know? Okay. We see the command to discern true doctrine. I hope you see why it matters so much, why it's not boring to talk about doctrine, why it matters. How do you know? And that's what he spends verses two through six. And if you're a note taker, I'll give you some, some things from John on how to know, how to, how to sort out that which is a spirit of the Lord and that which is not of God. And the first is this. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. Look at the content. Look at the content. The first is look at the content. What is the content of the message that's being put forth? Look at verse two. Okay, so doctrine is important. We need to know, we need to be able to test the spirits. We need to know, we need to be able to discern every time we log on to social media, every time we watch the news. We've got to be able to discern even little, uh, the, the littlest children in school. They've got to learn at an early age to discern. How will we know? John says, by this you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. There it is. He says, look closely. What are these spirits? One writer said the spirits can be defined as the unseen spiritual influences that guide people's speech and actions. Another commentator called them the unseen impulses that drive people. They're saying the same thing. There's an unseen spiritual element that drives. So some new impulse comes along, some new word of prophecy, some new teaching. Look back and ask yourself, what do they do with Jesus? John establishes a doctrinal standard. What do they claim about Jesus? In John's own day, the error was the Gnostic error. There were people who said Jesus was born like a regular old human man, and sometime around his baptism, God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came, the, the Christ, they called him, the divine nature came upon Jesus. That's how he was able to do all the miracles, and then left Jesus right before the crucifixion because they said God can't suffer. And here John says, nope, nope. Everything hinges on the incarnation, that Jesus was the, the divine nature come in the flesh, and he is from God. Stephen Wellam has done a lot of writing about the incarnation. When he says Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he's saying a lot of things there. God is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God has existed triune from all eternity past. So the second member of the triune Godhead, Jesus the Son, willingly humbled himself and chose to assume a human nature. John 1.14, the word became flesh. He had always had a divine nature. He added a human nature. He didn't lose any of his divinity. Christ's human nature is fully human, completely sinless. This happened, you've heard of the virgin birth. This happened by means of a virgin conceiving and giving birth, that little baby in Bethlehem. He was all God and all man. Now that's the dividing line. If the God of the universe became a man, died for us in our place on the cross and rose again and lives even now in a resurrected body to be a kind of forerunner, to be a kind of trailblazer for all of us to be raised up one day, you see how if that's the way the universe is set up, then the most logical thing in the world, the most loving thing in the world would be to tell everybody. Evangelism and missions make sense because of doctrine. 
And that, this is the point, by the way, where Muslims and Mormons and Jehovah Witness and countless other groups will diverge. They'll go on and on about how great Jesus was, about what a great prophet he was, what a great man, what a great teacher, what a great healer. But when you say, yes, he was all that, he was fully human, but he was also fully divine, that's when they'll say, I'm out. See, they're under the greatest of deceptions. John puts it bluntly, verse three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. We've already had some teaching on the Antichrist. There is one ultimate, capital A, Antichrist who's coming, but the spirit that animates him is already in the world. And that goes back to those false prophets that are around. And that same spirit ready to confuse and distort the truth of God. This is heavy stuff. The truths about Jesus Christ are being attacked on all sides. So John knows people are going to need some encouragement. And he gives it in this next verse. So the first is look at the content. But then here's another affirmation for you. Here's an encouragement. He says, look at how far you've come. First is look at the content. And then he gives this word of encouragement. When it comes to discernment, look how far you've come. Look at verse four. Look at what he says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. What does John mean you've conquered? He's saying, think about it. These false teachers, these false prophets are out there and they seem really powerful and they're denying the truth that we know about Jesus, that he, he is fully God, fully man. He died on the cross for us. He rose again from the dead and they're trying to convince all these people, but look, you, you've overcome them. And they say, how? They look around, how? Because you're still here. Those false teachers left, but you didn't leave, did you? You're still holding to the old truth. And, and, and they're looking around, they're going, yeah, I, I guess you're right. So they didn't get everybody. In that sense, they didn't win. You were able to overcome. The false teachers have not won over the true believers to their cause. John's saying, I'm still here, and I'm an apostle. I, I, I walked with Jesus. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. Many of the believers were strengthened by the same letter. And I think when they read that, they're looking around like, hey, you're right. You're right. We, do, we still believe. Yeah. So in that way, because you still believe, you prove they haven't overcome you. In fact, uh, we can ex- extend this even as they're reading this letter. Um, so John wrote to his church and he said, little children. Well, y'all, we're st- I mean, look at us. We still believe and we still have this letter. So in a way, he's still writing to us. I wonder if verse four, if, if, if his church were little children, we're his little grandchildren, <laughs> maybe. But there are spiritual legacy. And look. God's word is still going forth and you still believe the truth about who Jesus is. So in that way, we have conquered them. They did not conquer us. We still believe. The false prophets are defeated every time a Christian still believes in the virgin birth, the atonement and the resurrection. We have conquered them. They have not overtaken us. Why? Because we're so smart and so discerning? No, we know why. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you struggle with fear and anxiety, uh, uh, from little children to the most mature seniors who've been walking with the Lord, we need this truth. Do you know greater is he who is in you than he who is in the Lord, than he who is in the world? Got it? So even tonight, uh, kids, when you're, when you're uh, scared and you're filled with anxiety and you're tossing and turning, you can whisper this and remind yourself of the scripture of God's word. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Isn't that great for kids? Because kids are the only ones at night who struggle with fear and anxiety. 
And so I think it's just wonderful that we can give kids this advice that when you're scared and you're worried that, you know, you hear about the devil and the spirits and they're all out there, you can remember, you need not be afraid. Why? Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. What a message for children. You might say it's a message for little children. All of us. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You can overcome that temptation. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is tempting. You can, over, you can love. You can live. You can, there is hope for your marriage. There is hope for that toxic relationship at work. There is absolutely hope. Why? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So you could preach on hope. You could preach on faith. You could preach on love. It all has the underpinning of doctrine. If that's true, you tell me what's not possible. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Look at how far you've come. Look how far he's brought you. Okay, but, but, but what about those times when the culture's narrative seems so powerful and it's shouted everywhere and you do sort of feel like if you don't get on board, you'll get left behind. What do you do when the whole world thinks differently than you? How do you explain that? Well, I think John would say, well, that's the third thing. You got to look past the crowds. Look at the content. Look how far you've come. And number three, look past the crowds. He said, you should not be surprised that false teachers who teach without claiming Christ, of course they draw a huge crowd. They're preaching to the home team. Look at verse five. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The world is their origin, the world is the content of their message, and the world eats it up. The world is their audience. Now we've talked about this before, but just keep in mind, the Bible uses world to mean um, uh, it uses it in different ways. When we think world, we usually think the planet or maybe we think the people. And sometimes the Bible uses it that way. Like in John three sixteen, when it says, for God so loved the world, it means all the people in the world. But uh, here and very often in the Bible, the world means like the realm. Uh, we think of world as planet, but, but here it, it, a realm. Like when we say that someone's delusional, we say, oh, she lives in her own world. Well, we don't mean she's on Mars. We mean that she has a mindset by which she operates in a whole different realm than reality. Or better yet, imagine you're watching the nightly news and they say, and now we bring you news from the world of sports. It doesn't mean that sports takes place on a different planet. It means there's a system, ideas, people, activities, purposes. There is a realm. That's what John is saying. There exists a realm opposed to God, a system. He calls it the world. In John 12, 31, it tells us Satan is the ruler of this world. So this is not a place. It's a mindset. It's not a location. It's an attitude, a worldview, a way of looking at things that says God doesn't exist, or if he does exist, I'm going to live my life with no regard for him. I'm going to be my own ruler. So when people put forth ideas that are contrary to God, what happens? The world can't get enough. The world eats it up. They, they, they listen, they're bought in, they speak the same language. Listen to this uh, commentary. This is David Jackman. Listen to his profound insight. When these quote-unquote prophets, whether political or religious, proclaim the glory of man and the fulfillment of human desires at whatever cost and any sort of behavior, oh, people jump at the idea. We human beings want to be assured that we're basically all right. And any ideas about sin or judgment or accountability to creator God are outdated and unnecessary. It's all governed by this world and the desire to make it a more comfortable place where you can enjoy yourself more. It has nothing to say on the issues of eternity. It has no dynamic by which lives can be changed and offers no ultimate significance beyond the grave. He's saying, look, ask yourself, 
this teaching that's out there, is it gonna matter a billion years from now? Does it have any significance for me beyond the grave? Is all it is like, here's how to have a better life in this world. That's all the world has to offer. And let me ask you point blank. Some of you are working so hard at your job. You're working so hard. It's a struggle out there. You're putting food on the table. You're faithful. Some of you are in school. You're laboring hard. That, 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 that's good. That's good. So, so much of our thinking is toward improving this life. To a degree, there's nothing wrong with that. But the Christian gospel is not just how to improve this life. The Christian gospel would say, whatever you think your greatest problem is right now, you gotta step back and doctrine teaches us, right? Our worldview, the scriptures teach us, your biggest problem is that while God made you in his image, sin has separated you from your creator. Sin has separated you and God. And if you right now are separated, if you are in rebellion, of God, if you are in rebellion toward God, then that and that alone is your biggest problem. It's a toxicity that will affect everything else. And whether it, it manifests itself in small ways or in big ways, here is the dreadful news. As long as you live in separation toward God, you will not only die physically, you will die spiritually. And if you die spiritually separated from God, you will spend eternity, eternally separated from God. That is the problem. That's, that's eternity. So what if, 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 if here on this earth, you, through medical research or through your own hard work and exercise, you could extend your life a few months or even a few years. What is that in light of eternity? What is that in light of eternity? Are you right with God this morning? Because all these false teachers, the world, they can't offer that. They cannot offer that. The best they can do is give you some tips on, I don't know, having a better career or tips on having more self-actualization. But they are silent when it comes to what happens after the grave. And the Christian gospel teaches that God has done something in Jesus Christ. He sent his own son, Jesus. He loved the world so much, he gave his only begotten son. And that little baby, born in a manger, he grew up, he lived a sinless, spotless life. And at the end of his life, he came to reconcile, to redeem. Remember how I said sin had separated us from God? Jesus Christ stood in that gap as a mediator. And all the sin, all the wrath for sin that we deserve, it was poured out on Jesus. He died, the sinless, spotless, sacrificial lamb of God, Jesus. He hung up there on that cross in your place. And for your salvation. His doctrine was right. And that meant it's the greatest act of love that there's ever been. Here's the thing. All that sin and punishment for sin was laid on Jesus. And Jesus' perfect right standing with God the Father is offered to all who believe by faith. It's offered to you this morning. I'm asking you point blank because I'm here to tell you the world can never offer you that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can offer you that. There are not a million ways to God, but praise God, there's one, and all you need is one. Can you imagine if somehow there was a cure for cancer and the headline was, only one cure for cancer found today? You'd say, you buried the lead story, man. Let's praise God, there's one. The open door that is Jesus Christ is the only door, but praise God, the only door is a wide open door. Whosoever will may come. Well, John closes, and so shall I, with verse six. One final encouragement. Look at the content. Look how far you've come. Look past the crowds. Note takers, here's your last one. Always, always, always look back to God's word. Look at the content. Look how far you've come. Look past the crowds. 
And when it comes to discernment, always go back to God's word. Look back to the word. He reminds him in verse six of who he is. He's talked about you, the listeners. He's talked about them, the false prophets. Now, who, he, who we are. He is an apostle. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now that he and James and Peter and Paul, they have all grown old and some have died, but they have not left us with nothing. They have left behind the apostolic teaching, the gospels, these letters, the word of God. So he says bluntly, he knows his time on earth. Remember I told you he may have written 1 John when he was 100 years old. He knows his time on earth is quickly coming to an end. So he reminds them, we are from God. What does he mean? We presented to you the Holy Scripture. We got it straight from the Lord and we passed it on to you. That's why the Apostle Paul will sometimes say, what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. So whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He's saying, we presented you Holy Scripture, like this letter right here. And you'll see over and over, it unpacks who Jesus is. It comes back to Jesus. So one more assurance, one more means of testing the truth of all this is what? Have you noticed? He's saying, think about it. Think about it. We are the apostles. This is the apostolic teaching. So if this is God's word, One thing you'll notice, one more means of testing the truth of all this. Have you noticed the people who are truly from God, they love this book. They love the word of God. They they take their authority from the word of God. Do you understand? He's saying this is one more litmus test. Those who listen to apostolic, foundational apostolic teaching, aka the Bible, That's how you know they're of God. They're preaching from the word. I, from time to time, remind you, and perhaps I should do it more often, do not believe anything I say from the pulpit on the grounds that I say it. Believe it because it comes from the word of God. I'm not up here to espouse my own opinions. I, like you, am a servant of the word. So see for yourself, go and study it, and you'll find over time, it's exactly like what Jesus said. It's exactly what Jesus said. Do you remember that in John 10? He said, he, he's kind of like a, he described himself as a, as, as a good shepherd. He said, here's the thing that happens over time, as uh, the good shepherd speaks over time. He says, my sheep, they know my voice. And you'll find over time that God's people are able to have this gift of discernment I know he gives spiritual gift of discernment to some, and thank goodness he does. There's some in the church who he blesses with spiritual gift of discernment. But everybody, according to scripture, everybody's supposed to be, have this discernment. But over time, over time, you'll realize you've come to know his voice. You'll be able to know what, what you'll be able to test every spirit. You'll be able to know, hey, that's, that's really of the Lord, and that's really not, because you'll know your good shepherd, and you'll know his voice. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of response. And as we prepare our hearts to respond to this, you know, I, um, I, I think that uh, maybe this is one of those messages where um, the application may happen along the way when you don't even know it, when you don't even know what's happening. Let me see if I can explain. Um, uh, so federal agents, right, the U.S. Treasury, one of their big jobs is to prevent counterfeiting. And so when they train federal agents to discern counterfeit money, right? So they get this big shipment. They're, not, they're, they're concerned something doesn't feel right, and so they, they, te- they test it out. Uh, they do not learn to spot counterfeit money by studying 
counterfeit currency. I thought this was interesting. They don't waste time in that. Instead, they study genuine bills until they master the look, texture, details, and feel of the real thing. They study real U.S. currency so deeply so that when they spot counterfeits, they can point them out as bogus almost immediately. I thought that's interesting. They don't spend a lot of time studying what's fake. They spend time studying what's true. And the counterfeits are spotted immediately. I thought about that. Like, we could do, some Sunday mornings, we could do like a 20-week series on cults. And we talk, we talk about all that's false. But wouldn't our time be better spent week after week coming back to what's perfectly true? And over and over, my goal, what I want for you, what I want for me, what I want for my own family, is sheep that know his voice. See, they know it. They can spot it in an instant. Then I don't worry when our kids, look at these precious kids we baptized. They're going to be going off to college like that. Not to make you cry, mom, but it's going to be like that. Won't it? I don't have to worry they're going to be taken in by every false wind of doctrine. Why? Because week after week. Why do you think Sunday school is so important? Why do you think Wednesday night is so important? Week after week. Why? You haven't even noticed that you've been going through 1 John. That's the amazing, that is the amazing thing. So the, 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 Tim Challies went and interviewed this federal agent. He's Canadian, but they have the same kind of thing. Uh, treasury agent. And it's the most amazing thing. And when I read it, I was like, oh. He said that after studying, and she just gave him a little bit of training. He said after studying, almost everybody is able to detect the counterfeits. But here's the thing. Almost nobody can tell you how. They knew that ain't real, and they couldn't tell you why. Why? It looks just right. Yeah. Why? I, I can't put my finger on it, but they would say things like, um, you know, the paper is off. This has a waxy feel. That would be like the best they could do. And she'd be like, you're right. That's counterfeit. You got it. And they would test it over and over and over. Why? They didn't even, they didn't really know how. Do you, do you suppose that's happening with you? in the past few months as we go through 1 John together? Could it be that you are building a doctrinal truth detector by which you are listening to his voice, you're hearing the word, and you're gonna be able to spot falsehood almost, in, you won't even know how. Because sometimes this stuff doesn't happen directly. I mean, what are, you, what are you gonna leave here and be like, what was the application of that sermon? Don't give cigarettes to two-year-olds, fine. I wasn't, I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> oh, but could it be, could it be that over and over, we're learning to know his voice. Reminds me of the, the mom comes with the little boy and stops the preacher after church. Says, hey, my kid wants to ask you something. He says, sure. And the boy says, how come every single Sunday after you get done reading the scripture text for that week, every single Sunday, you say it every time, you always say the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Why do you do that every Sunday? Preacher goes, that's why. That's why. You get those kids in Sunday school every single Sunday. You get those kids Wednesday night. We talked about it at the deacons meeting devotion this morning. Sometimes you'll get done and be like, what I learned from that? Avoid a dodgeball. You know, you go, oh, yeah. Oh, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Every week, getting to know his voice. And you yourself need that. I need that. So that over and over, we turn our eyes upon Jesus and get to a point where we may not even be able to explain how, but we're so familiar with God's word, we can test every spirit. John would say, and in doing so, you've overcome. Doctrine is at stake. So stay at it. You're doing good. Stay at it. That you may know. Let's pray. God, grant to us, we ask, 
that we would have discernment. Grant to every believer a fresh hunger to be engaged with your word that we may know. And to anyone here who's here this morning or maybe they're watching this online and they're not yet a believer, they would say, quite frankly, when I ask them point blank, if they're still in rebellion to God, they're still stuck on that. They, they in fact feel like, yes, they are. Oh, that today would be that day of repentance and rejoicing at your great salvation. That They would be born again today. Wherever they are, wherever they're watching this, that they would yield to you and they would sense that your Holy Spirit is bringing them to new life. Receive you and be saved forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for the invitation? I hope it's clear. This is a time when you can, you can move, you can come forward, you can pray right where you are. If you want to come and tell Pastor Scott something's on your heart and you want to pray together or you want to set up a time to meet or you want to do business with the Lord where you are, certainly if you need to be saved, do that today. You do as God leads. these uh, presentations uh, you know or you may not know in a southern baptist church the way it works is existing members vote in the new members and so it uh, is a something that we'll do now uh, dewitt and janet sanford attend the 8 a.m service though you may have seen them today uh is there uh they were assigned uh, first impressions they were one of the greeters so uh, dewitt or janet may have greeted you on the way in uh, but if you rejoice with me in welcoming dewitt and janet into the membership of coleman first baptist signify your vote by raising your hand saying praise the lord Praise the Lord, an overwhelming majority there. And then, of course, these two that we saw baptized. So uh, uh, first a person is saved, then they're uh, baptized, and then that saved, baptized individual uh, is formally, formally welcomed into the church by church action through a vote. That's what we're doing here. If you rejoice with me in welcoming Trace Harris into the full membership of Coleman First Baptist, signify your vote by raising your hand saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And if you rejoice with me in welcoming our sister Emma Milliken into the full fellowship and membership of Coleman First Baptist Church, signify your vote by raising your hand saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Even mama voted for you. All right. <laughs> praise the Lord. We rejoice. You know, uh, BJ, would you just take, if you're here for a baptism or a guest, would you just, during the benediction, make your way out? We would love for folks to come by and meet you. If you'll hang out in the point, if you're willing, and uh, would you go through on your way to get coffee and a donut or whatever, stop by, say a kind word, introduce yourself if you don't know, and uh, let's, let's make these uh, families, let's make sure they know they are welcome, welcome here, and we're excited for them. Pastor Scott? This crowd seems a little more awake than the 8 o'clock. Yeah. So uh, our benediction, would you join me from 1 Thessalonians 
May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.